With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. everyone welcome back to across the romaverse i know it's been a, a quiet week in the romaverse with uh you know international break upon us yet again it's been uh, over a week since roma's last played not too many big stories breaking but we'll start with a quick news update section here jimmy and brandon are back with me so jim i'll go to you first just because you uh broke this uh rumor on the site a couple days ago about dennis zakaria so jim what, what did you hear about that when you broke that story yeah, so it's been pretty obvious from, honestly, the start of the season that Roma's still looking for a new midfielder who can be paired with either Brian Cristante or uh, Jordan Bertu. Um, and in this case, it looks like uh, Tiago Pinto might have found his man, who is uh, Dennis Zakaria, uh, currently playing in Germany, uh, Swiss international. And uh, Gianluca Demartio says that uh, Roma's going to be trying to either bring him in on a free in uh the, at the end of the season in June, or we'll be trying to give him, you know, somewhere under 10 million euros uh, to his club, which is Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, and to get him in January instead of having to wait for an extra six months. Uh, from what I've read about him, he seems like a really good fit with what Mourinho wants uh, in kind of a more defensive midfielder role. Uh, it seems like he'd be able to allow Bertu and Cristante to kind of rotate in the same role as more of an attacking midfielder in that two mid two midfielder pairing that we've been seeing so far. So whereas right now Cristante often has to do a lot of defensive duties that he's not terrible at but not great at, 
I think the idea would be if we brought in Zakaria that he would be able to take on more of that defensive responsibility and give Veratu and Cristante more of a breather every now and then and also make sure that you know they can do what they're supposed to be doing which is to a certain extent being more creative and even scoring goals it's been a while but you know even when Brian Cristante was playing with Atalanta, he, he hit double digits in goals. And Vertu, we've seen this season, is a great goal scorer when he's given the chance. So if you ask me, this seems like a smart move either now or I mean, either in January or in June. Uh, and if the price is right in January, I, I'm hoping that uh, Roma goes for it. Yeah, and this is a listener Q&A episode, and we will have a question later on about Zakaria. So I'll wait to get Brandon's take on him in just a bit. But Brandon, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Um, excited for this q and I'm glad that this uh, international break is almost over with so we can, um, you know, start getting into these matches again. But overall, doing good. Yeah. So we're recording today on Tuesday, you know, a few days left in the international break. Uh, just a couple quick updates on some Roma players during the international break. Lorenzo Pellegrini continues to score. He scored a goal for Italy in their uh, Nations League semifinal defeat to Spain. It was a goal probably any of us could have scored because Federico Chiesa made the whole play. But, hey, good to see Pellegrini's name on the score sheet. Also got to start the next match in the final against Belgium, which uh, not the final, but rather the third-place match, which Italy won. So Pellegrini got some important minutes for Italy considering he's, you know, trying to work his way back into the Azzurri rotation after missing the Euros through injury. Uh, Cristante got a few minutes also in the Belgium match. And uh, the big news really was Tammy Abraham scoring for England, I'd say, after he wasn't called up for quite some time by... Um, Gareth Southgate, he got a goal uh, a couple days ago. Forget who they were playing, uh, but a goal for Abraham nonetheless. So good to see him carrying his Roma form in, and hopefully he'll carry that goal scoring back to Roma uh, this weekend when when Juve uh, comes calling. Um, I saw Max Kambula play both games for Albania. So even though he's not getting minutes for Roma, he's been playing, you know, and the usual suspects on the international stage like Mkhitaryan getting minutes for their national teams. One guy who missed the international break um, actually getting a shot with Italy was Nicolo Zaniolo because he had a little hip flexor issue after the last match that Roma won against Empoli, but he returned to full training, I believe, yesterday. So he should be ready, no problems for Sunday's match against Juve, which is certainly good news. Uh, and then one little quick update I noticed before we came on, it looks like Antonio Mirante, who's no longer with Roma, set to sign with Milan with Mike Magnan. Out. He's uh, expected to complete with uh, the the Cyprian goalie from uh, Milan, who I could never pronounce his last name, but I think Tataransu, something like that, used to play for Viorentina. So there's a chance we might see uh, Mirante in goal for Milan at the end of the month if uh, Manian's still out and he can manage to pull some minutes away from his competition there. So that'll be interesting, but just something to keep on the back burner. I thought it would be uh, a little uh, interesting tidbit for everybody out there. Uh, but like I said, this is a listener Q&A based episode, you know, without much news in the Romaverse, we thought this was a great time to open it up to you guys, the listeners to ask us, you know, whatever you were thinking, um, whatever was on your mind, we'll try to answer your questions as best we can. We got quite a, a few uh, good ones coming up for you. So we'll split this up a little bit because we got some on the pitch questions, some Mercato related questions and some off the pitch questions. So we'll go in that order to try to keep it a little more organized and flow a little bit better. So let's start with the on-the-pitch questions. Uh, the first one comes from Pietro Rizzo, uh, asks questions frequently when we, we put it out there. So he said, seeing that October will be an important month since we are playing Juve, Napoli, and Milan, what would be an acceptable result? 
And out of those three games, which one will be the hardest game? Do you think it may be time to play with two strikers for one of these games? So um, let's start, let's start this way and say, what would be, I guess, an acceptable result in terms of those three matches for you guys, maybe out of nine points and which of those three will be the hardest. Then we could get into that striker question. So uh, Brandon, I'll go to you first. What are you looking at out of nine points for those three and which of those is the toughest for you? Um, so, you know, ideally I would love if we were able to get six or seven points, I think realistically, just given how we've performed in the past against some of these bigger squads and, you know, we already have the Lazio result in mind in terms of um, these type of games this year. So I think realistically, if we get four points out of this three stretch, um, three game stretch, it would be, it would be, you know, acceptable for me. I mean, that's not great by any means, but I feel like at least getting four points um, helps us maintain the status quo a little bit. And ideally you would hope that first one is, is against U of A keep some distance between them the in the race for the champions league spots and then um you know manage to draw on the other one and then these are three very good teams so you would kind of expect to, to lose at least one of them um you know given that we did finish seventh last year so i'd say four points is kind of the baseline that i'm looking for and what would you say is the hardest of the three in your opinion uh the hard probably the uve game right just because you know the context of that game um, they are UVA is playing catch up and they are kind of rounding into form a little bit. So I think for me, the players probably know that that's the game that they have to win of the three. And so that I think for that reason, will probably be the hardest for them. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Where, where do you go with the hardest? And then what would be an acceptable, you know, out of the nine points? Well, I would probably say that the Napoli game is going to be the hardest because Milan without Magnan, I'm not as worried about because Coming into the season, I didn't know how well he would adjust to Serie A, but he's done quite a good job. Simply because he's not Donnarumma, he hasn't been getting as much hype, but he's been quite good. Uh, given that with him gone, I mean, sorry, Marante, but I, I'm not as worried about you or him as a goalkeeper against our attacking line as I would be a, with even Chesney for Ju- Juve, who has not been playing well this season at all. Uh, so Napoli definitely worries me the most just because they're on such a hot streak and it would be great if we could break that, but at the same time, I I wouldn't necessarily bet on it as for ideal versus acceptable. I have to remind you guys that ideally we get nine points out of three matches. Um, like that's the best case scenario. And I don't think it's, I I think it would be tough, but I think it could happen. Um, you got to remember that Juve is not playing the way that we would expect them to play, uh, you know, on a season to season basis, even without Ronaldo, you would expect this Juve to play better than they have. Um, Milan is without their goal, their number one goalkeeper or probably will be. And uh, Napoli, I mean, Napoli is going to be tough, but Napoli is always tough. Uh, so acceptable, I would say, I would hope for five points um five or six points somewhere between in that range um i think either you know two losses two wins and a loss or a win and two draws is a feasible expectation for this side i i I mean as much as brandon's definitely right that you know we were seventh place last season for a reason there's also been a pretty big overhaul of this squad and i think that there's a pretty big difference between Mourinho and uh uh Fonseca 
So given that, I think that, you know, hoping for six points out of nine, I think that that is a reasonable hope. Yeah, uh, certainly, you know, have to probably expect at least one dropped result in there. I would, I would think it's a tough stretch. We also have um, a, a match against Bode from Norway. I believe that match is away. So we have to travel there to Norway in between the, the Juve and the Napoli matches. And then Cagliari lands in between the Napoli and Milan matches. So it's a lot more than just those three matches when you take it in the bigger picture. So there's going to be some other energy exerted there. Hopefully matches that turn into fairly easy wins, but you never know. Um, if I have to pick my hardest match, I'm going to go with Juve just because Juve is the only road match of the three and Roma has the crowd behind them lately. Capacity is up to 75%. The crowd really seems to be behind this team. You know, we haven't seen things go bad in front of the home crowd yet. So who knows if a match starts poorly, if, you know, the, the whistles start happening and whatnot. But um, I think too, what Brandon said, the context of the match being that it's Juve, Juve is kind of struggling. A win at Juve on Sunday could really open up some distance between Roma and, and Juve, at least in the race for the top four. Um, and I'd have to say, I, I guess the, somewhere in the four to six range, like Jimmy said, would be acceptable. If you could get a win against one side and a draw against another, you drop one. Okay. If you get two wins or maybe a win and two draws, even better. Um, I think the biggest thing is not to lose two matches. I think if you can get out without losing two or God forbid, all three, then I think it's uh, you know, it, it puts Rome in a position where they at least can show that they can compete with these, these top sides, uh, which will be important. So kind of piggybacking off that Isaac Jacobson asked, are these big matches that are coming up going to define our season or do we need to wait and see if, were better than last year. So Jim, I'll go to you first, Asim. Do you think these three matches define the season or what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think they're important, but I don't think they define the match the season. If anything, I think that what we've seen throughout, I guess even the past decade of Roma is that it's not really the matches against the big sides that define the, mat- the season. It's how well this club can do against the little teams um, because that's really how you die. It's like, um, a million scratches of a draw here, a draw there, a loss here, a loss there against teams that a club as big as Roma should be losing to, quite frankly. So, I mean, even a huge club um, in the Premier League, like a Liverpool or a Chelsea or whatever, um, and even like a Juventus is going to lose matches against big clubs. And so it's important to, you know, give 100% and there's a whole lot riding on these matches. But I would almost argue that it's way more important to build up the mentality that the matches against the little squads are the must wins. And the good news is I really think that Mourinho's done a job, a good job of improving that mentality at the very least. It does seem like the side cares about winning and winning handily against smaller sides. Uh, I think, yeah, so I I would say I don't think they define the season. Um, I think that we do have to wait and see. Yeah, I have to, I tend to agree there. I think to say they define the season would be harsh. Um, but if they do go and lose all three, it'll certainly put the pressure on the club to really bounce back in a big way after that. But I think it's a wait and see situation. New manager, uh, like Jimmy said, different mentality for the most part. Hopefully that allows them to to not put themselves in the position to say lose all three and really put their backs against the wall. Brandon, what do you think about that question? Yeah, so I think generally I agree with you guys um, in that it's not going to define our season. I think it has the potential to, if you lose all three, Um, you know, we're all optimistic. That's not going to be the case, but that can really, you know, 
set the tone going forward, especially, you know, kind of going off of what Jimmy was saying a little bit about um, the, the your, your season's kind of defined based on how you do against the smaller sides, which is true. Um, I think also, though, if you look back to last year, Rama up until, I don't know, January, um, when it started to unravel, we were taking care of um, business against the smaller sides. And it was just uh, the bigger teams that we couldn't get the job done against. And that, you know, created that narrative that we just couldn't do it. And once the results started, you know, going the wrong way um, against the smaller sides as well, and that safety net was gone, that really is when things started to unravel. So I think, you know, overall, it doesn't uh, make a huge difference um, with how these results go, but I think it's good for, um, you know, creating a little buffer um, in between the points that you need when it comes to um, the smaller the smaller games as well. Um, and, you know, I think even if, for example, say Roma go one, one, and one in the three big matches, um, it can definitely be used as a springboard if they perform well enough. Um, you look a few weeks ago and Man City had that stretch against PSG, Chelsea, and Liverpool. And um, I think that is what they, they um, their record was one and one and one, but they were like praised for how they played and stuff like that. And I'm sure going forward, that'll inspire them uh, to be confident against those bigger teams. So I think this is something similar that Roma could use. Yeah, certainly confidence will be big too after the way last year went against the big sides, like you mentioned. So hopefully some positives in this three-match stretch. I think we all agree it won't define the season right now, but like Brandon said, if if things go bad, it could snowball like we've seen in the past in, in big matches. So we hope that won't happen. Uh, the next question comes from um, one of our listeners on Twitter under the name Unakaza. He said, when will Zaniolo hit his stride? So, uh, Jim, what do you think about that? Well, I'm not psychic, okay? <laughs> um, I, I don't know when exactly. Like, I can't predict, you know, oh, it's going to be the 89th minute of the Juve game or something like that. But given that, I think that it's pretty important to note that before the international break, we were seeing him really pick up steam. Uh, he didn't score a goal, but he was looking excellent in the run of play um, against Empoli and against Lazio. I would argue that he was our best player on the field against Lazio at the very least. Uh, so I would say that I wouldn't be shocked to see him really start banging goals in within the next couple weeks. Um, I think that I made like a hot take in our last podcast that he was going to score a hat trick during this month. I mean, would I love that to happen? Yeah. But I do think that we're, we're seeing an improvement of form. That's an indicator that, you know, just give him a bit more time and he'll be back to the world-class player that we've seen so far from him when he's been at the senior level. What do you say, uh, Brandon? Yeah, I, com- I completely agree there. I think, you know, it's it's obviously hard to say what game it'll happen, but generally over the last few weeks or so, um, the improvement that we've seen from him from when, um, you know, there were calls to give uh, Carlos Perez some, some time um, starting. And he's, you know, he's massively improved since, since those shouts were happening. But um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's coming. I think, um, you know, he's always shown flashes that uh, he can take over the big games. Um, and I don't think that we've truly seen that from him just yet. So, you know, as a fan, I just hope that we get that, but I think he's kind of overdue um, both on that front and just overall, um, you know, with the goals coming. 
Yeah, I'd argue he's already started to hit his stride. Like Jimmy mentioned, against Lazio, he's probably our best player. Uh, looked pretty good against Empoli again. So I, I think the goals are coming. Uh, if that's what we, you know, if that's what this listener defines as maybe hitting his stride to like the fullest, because I think the other aspects we're starting to see taking players on on the on the dribble, running at players, uh, being dangerous on the breaks. So and I think once the goals start coming, I think we will see the the top ends on y'all that we're used to. And uh, Roma will need him in this stretch. So we're we're hoping it comes you know soon, like Sunday, or at least uh, maybe the match after that. But we do need him uh, scoring goals. So. The next question is from Adam Fish, and he wants uh, he has a tactical question. We'll try to answer this as best we can. None of us are tactical experts, but it's a, uh, he has tactical analysis of the defensive weaknesses. I think Mancini and Banyas are good. I think the midfielders are not the most defensive. I think the wingbacks are a bit more like Metzale, which would be you know the wide um, the, in a three-man midfield, the two, the left and the right midfielders in that situation. So how can it be tightened up? Um, you know, nobody's arriving before January at the earliest. So, Brandon, what do you see as a way to tighten up the defense? Um, I think probably just um, better ball position in the midfield is probably a good place to start. I think a lot of times, um, at least from my perspective, we tend to give the ball away in the midfield. And at that point in time, because it's in the middle of our attack, our fullbacks are pushing a little higher up than they probably should be. Um, you know, when, when, when you give possession away. So then that kind of leaves Mancini and Ibanez in a lot of one-on-one defensive opportunities, which, you know, agreeing with the question, um, I, I think both players are great and, um, you know, they're, they're kind of rocks in the back sometimes, but when they're constantly in, in these one-on-one duels um, because a misplaced pass, um, a misplaced pass put, uh, the other team on the counter kind of uh, sets them up to fail. So I think, you know, just a little bit better control in the midfield is a good place to start. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Yeah. I, I won't pretend that I'm a tactical expert here, but I do think that it's important to note that, as you said, Steve, we're, we're not getting anybody new yet, but I do think that Darboe has shown that he can provide a bit of, you know, defensive balance to the midfield in a way that we don't necessarily see from the Veritu Cristante pivot. I'm hope I'm still hoping personally that we bring in Zakaria uh, in January because I think he's more of you know the actual finished product compared to Derboe. Uh, but at the same time, I think that a lot of the defensive tightness can be solved by you know changing that that double pivot in the deep in the midfield uh, a little bit, tweaking it. You know, I don't think that Cristante or Veritu are worthless players. I think they're quite good. Uh, but having someone who can kind of complement them more is important. As for the wingbacks, I mean, I have not made it a secret that I've been pretty disappointed by our wingback play so far this season. And maybe Spinazzola's spoiled me a little bit last season, considering he was probably our best player over the course of the season. Uh, But at the same time, uh, I think that hope there's a reason why our two January moves are probably going to be for a more defensive midfielder and a right back. It's because we need a defensive midfielder because we don't have one in the squad that's, you know, not 19. And we need a right back who isn't named Rick Cardsdorp, who is ready now. And it's obvious that Brian Reynolds, Mourinho doesn't think he's ready now. Yeah, I have to agree with both of you. You know, I think Brandon's right. Tactically, you got to, you know, not give away possession in the midfield, you know, control a little bit more possession. But I think it also goes back to why Roma is looking for a defensive midfielder like Zakaria in the upcoming window. It's why 
you know, Mourinho labeled Jaka as the guy he wanted in, in the summer, whether you're a fan of Jaka or not, the idea was to get a more defensive midfielder in there. And I think that's why we see Mancini and Ibanez in these one-on-one duels so often, like Brandon said, you know, can Darboe help solve that problem sometimes? Probably against some of the smaller sides in the, in the conference league, maybe a couple of smaller steady outsides. He can probably help out. You know, Diwara being a bit of a bust as a defensive midfielder does not help the situation because he was the guy you probably would have expected to fill that role, but hasn't really been able to do it under Fonseca or Mourinho. So I think ultimately it comes down to Roma probably filling that defensive midfield position with another midfield, you know, a more defensive midfielder. I mean, the only other thing I could think of is a, a little bit of a tweak in formation where you play more like three central midfielders and more of a four, three, one, two situation, something like that. But then it, you know, changes what Roma does because guys like El Shirari prefer to play on the wing and you lose that that wing role in that situation. So I don't think Mourinho goes that route right now. Um, but you never know against some of the tougher midfields and said, yeah, maybe he decides to mix it up a bit to get a little more cover because uh, we don't want to keep putting Mancini and Ibanez or any other central defender in a position where they're going to be, you know, in, in these one-on-ones too often. So We'll see what Mourinho does if he tactically changes things up at all. But I think we all agree that at some point the defensive mid has to be addressed on the Mercato from is really going to truly shore it up. And, you know, I think we've said in uh, Jimmy said it before, I've said it in past episodes, I think Cristante fits the Vertu two role better than his current role. And, you know, if those two have to rotate with another defensive mid, maybe Roma's all the better for it. So we'll see what happens uh, come January or the summer. Um, speaking of, you know, guys coming in, guys leaving, our next question was, um, about Jekko and Abraham. So it's from Andy Like Sports. He said, what are your thoughts on Jekko's excellent start for Inter? How does having such an exciting replacement in Tammy Abraham impact your feelings? I'll, I'll start this one. I have to say what Jekko does for Inter, as long as he's not scoring on Roma, I it doesn't really bother me. It kind of makes me chuckle when I see that he's got like six goals already because it just shows how disinterested and unmotivated he was, in my opinion, last season. Um, but I think having Abraham certainly softens the blow. You know, if he was over there scoring seven goals and we had like Borja with one goal and not playing well, maybe it hurts a little bit more. But I think the thing with the whole Jekko situation, you guys could weigh in on, on this is, I think it was just time for him to go. So it, it doesn't hurt as much as like losing a player in his prime who we could have really used this year. Um, that's just my take. But what about you, Jim? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've barely thought about Jekko this entire season and it's been glorious. Um, I am, I guess on some level, I'm happy for him that he's finding success, but at the same time, the level of infatuation that I see, I've seen with some Romanisti for both Jekko now and before for Nangolin when he moved to Inter, uh, has, was always kind of like sad to me. It was, it was like, you know, kind of like still pining after your ex-girlfriend like behavior, which to me is just, you know, the above that. Um, but it definitely helps that Tammy Abraham looks like he can provide just as much as, if not more, to Roma than Jekko did towards the end. And, you know, he also has like a solid decade on um, less to like under his belt than Jekko does. And, you know, all things considered, I'd also much rather be in Roma's situation than Inter's situation more broadly. Like, have you heard about their finances? It, it, it makes Barcelona look like a picnic. So I, I, I'm not in exactly sure how long it will be until the wheels fall off of that ownership group. Uh, there were rumors that the Saudi Arabian team that uh, the Saudi Arabian group that bought Newcastle recently 
was also considering buying Inter uh, before they bought Newcastle, but now that they've bought Newcastle, they have no interest. Uh, and that kind of takes out one of the few options that I could see for, you know, Inter getting another hugely rich uh, ownership group. So not only am I, do I not really care about how Jaco's doing, I also really wouldn't trade places with Inter period for basically any factor. Yeah. What about you, Brandon? You shed any tears over Jekko scoring goals for Inter? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. Um, yeah, I agree with you guys. It doesn't really bother me any. Um, it's, um, it's. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I don't hate him as much as some of the fan base did when he left. And I. But I agree that it was time for him to go. And so you know, now that he's scoring, which is not really a surprise because, um, I think. You know, anybody who's disinterested somewhere, once they go to a new place, they'll have that jolt in the arm to, um, you know, perform at their best. And he's still a capable striker. So in that regard, it's not surprising to see. Um, but, you know, in regards to the Tammy aspect, I think for the majority of Jekko's tenure, we were kind of wondering, oh, man, how are we going to replace this guy? We got him for what, what was it, like 15 million euros from City, which and he scored over hundred goals for us. So you're not, you're not typically going to find that return at 15 million um, and credit to, to, to the club for, you know, splashing the cash and getting Abraham when the opportunity popped up, I think, you know, going back to that point about how are you going to replace Jekko? You probably couldn't have replaced him better than Abraham just because um at least based on early returns so far, he's kind of the opposite of everything Jekko was doing the last few years in terms of, you know, energy, work rate, things, things like that, which, you know, are important and can affect the game. So I think, you know, it's, 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 it's just a credit to the club for, for jumping on it when they could. Yeah. And one thing I will throw in some of the inter accounts I follow on Twitter, they complain about the same things we've complained about, about Jekko missing sitters and things like that. So even though he's scoring goals, it is a little bit the same old Jekko. So I don't think, I can't imagine, I'll say, any Roma fans missing Jekko too much right now unless you were like a huge Jekko fanboy, which I think by the end there weren't too many. But like like you said, I mean, complete, completely opposite player in Abraham. I mean, imagine what Roma's attack would look like with Jekko instead of Abraham right now. If you're missing Jekko, I, I can't imagine uh, it looks anywhere near as fluid or as pretty. So uh, moving on to a player who hopes to return to the pitch soon, uh, Leonardo Spinazzola, Johnny Delicoli of the Calcio guys asked, do you feel like Spinazzola's return is being rushed given that Roma has a solid opportunity at top four? Uh, he saw a rumor that he might be making his return by mid-November instead of January as originally predicted, and he doesn't think it's a good idea. So, Brandon, what do you think of a potential mid-November return for Spinazzola coming off that torn Achilles, which happened, uh, I guess, at the beginning of July? So I guess we'd be looking at about a four-and-a-half-month recovery there. Yeah. I mean, I I don't pretend to be a medical expert by any means, but that just sounds way, way, way too soon, especially, um, you know, across sports. And even within soccer, you hear six months, a year um, in terms of the recovery process. So if we're looking at four and a half months, it just seems like um, it's a little too hopeful on the part of Spinazzola. I mean, you know, uh, we're not privy to how his recovery is going and things like that. And he could be, you know, just breaking recovery records left and right with this. But I think overall, um, 
you know, we, we've lost two matches thus far under Mourinho, but um, I wouldn't say that either loss was entirely the fault of the left back, um, whether it's Vina or Calafiore, I can't remember um, if Vina started both games. But, you know, having said that, I think we're, we're not hurting for Spinazzola to come back in November. And I think if it makes more sense long term for him to show up um, in January, almost like a, you know, winter Mercato signing um, in itself, I think. It probably would be best just to 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 um, exercise a little caution here. Yeah, what do you think, Jim? Uh, four and a half months too quick. Yeah, I gotta say I'm getting PTSD from the Nicolo Zaniolo first mm-hmm. rehab. Uh, whenever I see him, you know, talk to the press and say I'm gonna be back by like Thanksgiving, like for us Americans, Thanksgiving. It's like, well, dude, I love you, and I know that you basically built up the entire past couple years of your playing career as proving the haters wrong, which, you know, he did a great job of doing. It's easy to forget how close we were to ditching Spinazzola for who was it? Politano. It was was Politano. Yeah. Like a guy who, you know, I I wouldn't make that trade today if he paid me a million dollars. So, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who went from loan to loan while in the Juve system, never seemed to really catch on. And then finally got a chance with Roma and hit the ground running once he got over some injury issues, was able to break heavily into the Italy squad, and then had that Achilles tear. So I understand why his mentality, why he wants to just think, go, 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 I've got to keep proving people wrong. But at the same time, man, you're too important to our long-term prospects to rush this rehab project, if you ask me. And so I'm hoping, as Brandon said, I think Mourinho said it himself, that uh, he's going to be viewing Spinazzola as like a January transfer in. And I think that's the thoughtful way to go about this, to say, to, for Mourinho to say to Spinazzola, look, I want you back ASAP, but I want you back and I want you to stay back. And we know that you've had injury issues in the past and we know that Achilles can be weird. So let's take it a little bit slower than you might like and then really try to get you going again in January. I also think that it's pretty likely that Roma's still going to be hunting around the top four in January. And I don't see the wheels falling off because a lot of these wins have seemed sustainable to me. So it doesn't seem to me like if we don't put them in now that, you know, we're just going to collapse. So for all those reasons, I really hope that he is thoughtful about his return timetable just because, you know, I really enjoy watching him play. And it would suck to see a Zaniolo 2.0 happen where he rehabs from one injury and then, you know, does the same exact injury again, just with a different leg, which could obviously happen if he comes back too quickly. Yeah, obviously none of us are medical experts. We're only from the outside looking in. Uh, there were some comments from Spinazzola the other day how he feels like a lion now, like he's really built himself up um, from a personality standpoint to combat this injury, and he feels good about himself. He did admit that this is probably the most important month of his recovery to to see, I guess, if he can get back by that mid-November goal of his that he has, um, because a couple of weeks ago I saw that he had a 75-day return um, to the pitch kind of like time frame, And that was about three weeks ago. I saw so as I was Googling um, some news update articles. So you figure that would put him at about 50 days out now, which is close to, to mid to late November. So we'll see how it goes, but I think you guys are right. I don't see Roma dropping out of the top four before the new year. So if it has to wait till the new year, I think Mourinho will handle it hopefully the right way. And, you know, if he does return to the pitch before new year's, hopefully it's in bits and pieces just to test it out, build up the confidence, build the stamina back up because, like Jimmy said, this is a guy we were, you know, Roma management was pushing out the door uh, for Matteo Politano. I was, when the, when the rumor seemed like it was so close and it was nothing against Politano because it would have been nice to have a, a Roma Academy grad back in, in the fold and he was 
he's played pretty decent for Napoli at times. There was so much potential in Spinazzola, and, and that move breaking down was was huge for Roma. So business and and non business with Inter the past couple of years has served Roma well between Zaniolo for Nangolan, the broken down deal with Spinazzola. Roma's kind of come out in the better end of both of those deals. So we'll see with Spinazzola. Um, we're all hoping for the best, and you know Vigna and Calafiori should be able to more than cover him for the time being, especially because our biggest stretch is this three week window coming up. It's not you know late December where we have a, a handful of hard games before new year. So hopefully, you know, they manage him well, because I know January, I think Milan comes back around Lazio comes back around. So we'll want him for those. Um, talk about the players that are lesser known. We had um, Endino ask, which young player do you think will have a breakout season? He listed Bove, Calafiori, Zalewski, et cetera. Of course you'd have to throw in um, losing his uh, Darboe. I drew a blank for a second there. I think all four of those would be in the conversation. Um, so, Jim, who would you say would be your breakout player if you had to pick one right now? Well, I, I think it's pretty forward. obvious. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's pretty obvious already who the breakout player is going to be, and it's it's Calafiori. Like, I, I mean, he's been buzzing in and out of the senior team for at least three seasons now, and it's always he's always had a bit of a predestinato uh, vibe to him that you know it it was gonna happen that he would be a part of this squad it was just a matter of when and if the rumor is true in particular that we're going to see him start the Juve game uh, after the break is over then it turns out that when is now and seeing him play important matches and be able to actually be a backup to uh, Matias Vigna right now which you know I hope Reynolds turns it around but he's not able to do that and he's about the same age as Calafiori so the fact that Calafiori is able to be that backup already is an indicator that, you know, he's having that breakout season already. So that does feel like cheating to me, though, just because of how long he's been with the senior side. So I will go with Zalewski. Is it, it's Zalewski, right? Like, uh, is, that the, is that the right pronunciation? I believe the so, yeah. players I always get tricky with. I, I would say Zalewski, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Zalewski to me strikes me as the one who is – most primed to break out who has not been a part of the senior squad before this season. And the reason why I feel that way is, you know, anytime I saw him play in the preseason, when I saw him play in EL last season, he looked really pretty good. Um, and I was excited to see him as, you know, an attacking midfielder option then. And I'm still excited to see him now. And it certainly seems to me like, you know, even with that hullabaloo that happened, I guess it was probably about five days ago now, where, you know, a friend of his posted some video to Instagram saying like, Mourinho, we're going to go snort some cocaine or something along those lines. Um, like, it sounds like the club dealt with it internally, didn't find him and just, you know, like told him, hey, you got to be good. We've got plans for you. And when the club does that, instead of like actually bringing the hammer down, that suggests that Mourinho really sees him as like a part of the future in a immediate sense. So if we're excluding Calafiori from that list because he's basically already a part of the squad, I would say Zalewski is, you know, the next in line. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, I think it's really between Darboe and Calafiori in terms of who's probably going to have the breakout season just because the other candidates really haven't, um, you know, played a ton thus far. And I know Darboe hasn't as well, but he seems already more primed for a larger role than the others. Um, and, you know, going off that point, I think 
Calafiore is a good shout for sure. I think that once Spinazzola comes back, though, that he is, you know, going to be relegated to games against the lower teams in the league, the, um, the Copa games, the Conference League games, which, um, you know, is just generally less opportunity to have a quote-unquote breakout season. I think for Darboe, he really has an opportunity to kind of make one of those two midfield um, positions his own just because both Crisante and Veratu, although, you know, in the pecking order, things are, they're, they're far and away higher than Darboe. Um, that's just not their position naturally. So I think based on that, um, Darboe being in a position that we don't yet have a, um, a solution for, and, you know, come the winter market, that could change for sure. But I think as of right now, um, Darboe just has a little better chance of um, playing a starting role in the, uh, um, going forward. Yeah, I'd have to go along the lines of Brandon. That's probably between Calafiore and, and Darboe. Um, Calafiore, though, like Brandon mentioned, depending on when Spinazzola comes back, might be relegated to third left back, um, which could which could hamper him a bit. I think Darboe has a, has a chance right now to do it um, earliest. If he can maybe prove that he's ready, maybe Roma holds off on the defensive mid until summer if the price isn't right on a Zakaria come January, which opens up more of an opportunity for Darboe. Um, but I'd have to think it's between those two. Uh, I, Zalewski, we'll see if he can, you know, carve out a role for himself. I think it might be hard, though, if um, Daniela really starts to, to break out and we see El Shawari playing a little bit better, the minutes might not be there. But but who knows? We hope they all break out. I think Bove's probably primed for a winter loan move somewhere to get some minutes under his belt now that he's been coached a bit by Mourinho. Maybe he can go somewhere and get some minutes at a lower steady offside uh, and come back ready next year. We'll see. Um, but speaking of players, uh, Ahmed uh, Benamarm asked, do you think we need a left winger plus which player do you think is overrated or inconsistent? So Brandon, I, what do you, what are you thinking? There? I see you smirking. So I'll go to you first. <laughs> no, it's just, it's a dangerous question because um, I'm sure we'll get some level of backlash. Um, <laughs> we label a player overrated. So I'm, I'm uh, reluctant to do that, but you called on me first. So here we are. Um, I don't know that there is somebody that we could call overrated per se. I think in seasons past, my go-to answer would have been Pellegrini easy, um, but I can't really go back to that one this season. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, and it's tricky because my my mind goes to Cristante, who I feel like I pick on a lot, but it's not, it's not, um, I'm aware of the fact that he's playing almost you know, in a, a relatively out of position um, going against his like natural inclination to get forward. So I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to label a tie between Veritude and Cristante just because um, they've been equally at fault and that not to say that they're overrated to be clear, just the, the consistency um, isn't really been there this season, but you know, we've, we've hashed that out a little bit in terms of why that exactly that is. And um so, you know, I, and that, that's why we constantly have this discussion about who we're going to bring in in the winter market is um, that inconsistent play. So I'd say those two are probably tied for me. What about you, Jim? I feel like this question is begging for someone to say yes, because Stefan El Sharawi is overrated and inconsistent. I feel like the, the way that this question is structured is begging for someone to say that. I'm not going to take the bait, though, because I actually like El Sharawi, and I also know that Bren loves El Sharawi, so I'm not going not gonna to do that. Um, I will say that in terms of inconsistency, I don't know. I, 
can I just say Rick Karsdorp and you guys can, you know, put together a super clip of me uh, saying all the negative things about Rick Karsdorp that I've said over the past, you know, forever. <laughs> um, I don't think we need a left winger though. I think that uh, El Sharawi, Mikatarian, and Zalewski are good depth there. Adan Shamuradov, who can play on the left wing. I think we're really fine with attacking options right now. And if it, it, there's a reason why it doesn't really seem like we're looking for any attackers in January. It's because that's where we have the most depth. I think we have the least amount of depth, obviously, at defensive midfielder. And then right behind that at right back, which, you know, makes a lot of sense that we're looking there in January. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think we need a left winger. I'm, I'm happy with Mkhitaryan, El Shirari, and Zalewski as a, a third option. And in terms of overrated and consistent, I wouldn't say overrated. I agree with, with what Brandon said, but in terms of consistency, I was also thinking maybe along the lines of Karsdorp because we've talked about his inconsistencies. Um, we expected a bit more out of him this year. So in that sense, I'll go with him. It's hard to really comment on some of the players that haven't played so much. So I'll go Karsdorp with my answer as well. Um, and then we'll wrap up this section before our commercial break. Uh, Malfan5, uh, ask expectations for this season and why I guess maybe at this point seven matches and we kind of did a last episode but real quick uh what is your expectation for Roma so far at this point in the season Jim yeah I mean I said this at the beginning of the season I said this for our seven matches uh round table piece that we did I guess right before the international break which you all should read if you haven't um my expectation coming in with Mourinho being signed and the signings that we made like Tammy Abraham was a Champions League spot that expectation has not changed. I think that this club can fight for a top four finish, especially if the right reinforcements are made in January. I don't think that that should be that controversial. I think that if, um, if Roma is able to really make the right transfers in, in January and people gel in the right way, like if we see Zaniolo really start to rack up the goals and work well with Abraham, I think third or second place is also a possibility. Uh, but right now my expectations are top four and, you know, I haven't really seen anything so far this season that would make me change my opinion. The top four is the goal. Brandon, what about you? Yeah, I think for me, um, the first, uh, you know, prior to the season starting, I probably would have said fifth or fourth, um, is probably our ceiling with, um, you know, likely fifth place finish just based on the strength of some of the other teams, um, Based on the results of, thus far, I, I am uh, more optimistic for sure. I would say probably a third place finish isn't out of reach. Um, comfortably fourth um, wouldn't be a surprise, but I think that is almost entirely contingent on how we um, get through this next month, um, particularly those three games against um, the big boys. And I think you know, if we come out relatively unscathed, get a, you know, the, the point totals we talked about in the previous question, I think that really sets us up to, um, you know, look beyond just fourth place and hopefully maybe third or second even. Yeah, I've just, you know, stick with my original prediction of fighting for the top four. I see no reason why at this point we can't fight for the top four. Uh, obviously, reinforcements could strengthen or lack of reinforcements might weaken that position. But I think, you know, like Brandon just said, how we get through this three-match stretch against the big boys will say a lot about this team. Maybe expectations change in a, in a month or so, but as of now, I'm sticking with top four as well. Uh, we'll take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to get into some of the Mercato questions and off-the-pitch questions. So we'll be right back. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back from our break. So we have a couple questions Mercato related from a couple listeners. I'll throw at you guys, uh, and then eventually we'll get to a quick Juve preview. So this one comes from Rahul Biswas, and he asked, previously I've heard rumors many times that Roma are looking for a profile who can play both fullback as well as center back or midfielder when needed. So do you think Nandez or any other player in that profile could be a good option, or should Roma purely look for only a right back or only a fullback in that role? So I guess he's asking, should we look for more of a hybrid that could play DM and, and right back or, you know, strictly look for a right back to back up cars or I guess would be the best way to, to rephrase it. So what do you think, Brandon? Um, I'm always, uh, I, I think the, the short answer is, you know, if we wanted a player like that, we might as well have kept Florenzi, right? Um, you know, he's not, um, he's not a center back or a CDM. So it's not, you know, a perfect response, but I think, if Roma were looking for a kind of a jack of all trades, master of none type of player, Florenzi was already in house solution to go to. So, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure part of that is also Florenzi's desire to leave also, but um, I just think I'm generally like leery of players that you kind of move all over the place and they don't um, have that set position. I think we've, we've talked a little bit, um, and you know, general leaders commentary about Cristante falling into that trap and which is why I'm hoping that he, you know, starts to carve out a specific role for himself over the next couple of seasons. Um, so yeah, I think generally Roma should just look to f- finding that specific player for that specific position. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I generally agree with Bren here. I mean, I like Nandez as a player, don't get me wrong, but, uh, I think that if we're trying to solve a hole in the squad we should do it by getting players who perfectly fit the roles that we're looking for not one player who can kind of play multiple roles uh i agree that i don't really want to go down the alessandro florenzi rabbit hole again with having a guy who we all love but you know didn't have a concrete role that he played you know at a superstar level or even a star level on a consistent basis and honestly also i don't really see the need for a center back um we already have really good depth at center back uh we have you know we have Ibanez we have Mancini we have Smalling we have Kumbula uh and we have um Cristante who can be like a break glass in case of emergency CB so I I don't really see a need for a center back uh and yeah I I think that it would be better to get a right back and to get a defensive midfielder, which, you know, is what I've been prescribing since, you know, week one of the season for the January Mercado. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think ideally you get a, a pure defensive midfielder and a pure right back. I think, you know, if you brought in an, a non-disc type player, which I, I don't see happening because he's been heavily linked with Inter again recently, heavily linked with Tottenham and Leeds. So Roma would face some pretty stiff competition and probably be out of their price range. That's why I think Zakaria is the more likely option because they get him on almost a free or a free if they waited another six months. Um, you know, it's always nice to have a guy who could fill in at right back if needed, but I think ideally you want a guy who can just play right back. I think that would be the better fit. Um, so moving on to the next question, which is also related to the defensive mid position um, from Ivano Carbone. He said, would Zakaria complete the midfield for 8 million, which I guess would be the rumored price in January. Is he worth it? Keeping in mind his past injuries. He said, in his opinion, it is worth it. And how do you see the tour de force coming up this month? We already discussed that. So we won't go into that part again. Um, but, and Ivano ended by saying Forza Roma Sempre, which we can agree on that. But talking about Zakaria, 8 million, say they do make the move for 8 million in January. Is it worth it? And does he complete the midfield, Jim? Yeah, I think this guy is worth, you know, like 25 to 30 million if he wasn't on an expiring contract. So, you know, (laughs) being able to get him for eight is exactly the type of deal that I think Roma should be doing. Uh, And, you know, I don't necessarily think that uh, the right back that we were linked to recently from Ajax. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name, the Moroccan. Yeah, M- Marazi uh, or Marzui or something. Yeah, Marzawi. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's like the best option for what we could get. But at the same time, this is another guy on an expiring that I think if we're able to get him for cut rate, that's kind of what the doctor ordered for a January transfer piece. Um, so I would say that Zakaria would complete the midfield and considering that we would be paying three times more, four times more for him if he was actually on like a long-term contract. I'm pretty happy with a under 10 million price point for a guy who could theoretically be like the third midfielder for a rotation going forward. Yeah, what do you think about that, Brandon, the Zakari situation? Yeah, I think the key for me is um, Jimmy's last point about him being a third option in the midfield. Um just because, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that the move will complete the midfields, um, but it'll certainly bring it a lot closer just because, you know, as Jimmy just said, he, he is going to be the third option. And I think that you, um, you know, what Mourinho wants and probably what the idea was, was with bringing, uh, with wanting to bring Chaka in is having a first choice um, defensive midfielder. And, you know, if Zakaria is still playing behind Cristante and Veritude, it doesn't really um, you know, complete it for me. But I think, you know, for the price point and just um, being a player that is um, more suited for that position, you know, you can't, you can't really complain about the deal if it does end up going through. Yeah, I have, I have to agree. So, you know, Zakari, like Jim mentioned, uh, transfermarket.com has him rated at 27 million euros. If he were to go at full market value, this guy's 24 years old, He'll be 25 in November. So if Roma were to theoretically get him in January or uh, come June, he's a 25-year-old with a value of close to 30 million euros. And um, I see Carbone mentioned the knee, um, the injury issues. It was really 1920. He had a knee issue that kept him out for uh, almost a full season, 21 matches. Uh, but other than that, he's been pretty, pretty good injury-wise. Last year, just one day, one match missed. Uh, this year, so far, he missed one match due to coronavirus, one match due to fitness. So not a not a long like laundry list of injuries. So I think for definitely worth it eight million euros, especially because even if you go on and sell him on in a couple of years, you know he's probably worth more than his current market value given his age and potential. 
Um, complete the midfield. I, I don't know, like Brandon said, I don't know if it completes it 100% in what Mourinho wants, but it definitely brings it a lot closer in the sense you have a guy who can play a true defensive mid position, frees up both Cristante and Vertu to be a little more free uh, in, in their positioning. And heck, if they have a third midfielder, who knows if maybe once in a while Mourinho goes to a 4-3-1-2 or something like that, or a 4-3-2-1 where, you know, Pellegrini's still playing in the hole, but you can complement Zakaria with both Vertu and um, Cristante if you want to pack the midfield a little more. So I think it gives Mourinho some more options having a, another tried and true established player rather than like a Darboe who's young and unproven. Um, next question on the Mercato comes from uh, Sufian. He asked a few questions here. So the first one he asked was, uh, Roma has been buying a lot of offensive players and is also linked with them. Our sole defensive purchase is also relatively offensive, referring to Vina, uh, if you don't compare him with the most attacking fullback in the world, in his opinion, which would be like a Spinazzolo. So compared to Spinazzolo, he might not be super attacking, but in general, he's a pretty attacking left back. Uh, do you think that's a good thing, considering Roma's weaknesses in the in the defense, um, Brandon? Um, I Well, it, that's... Uh... It's a tricky question because I don't think that a I wouldn't necessarily say that Roma's um, defense is the weakness in this team, but I think if you were to make that argument, um, I feel like you certainly couldn't make that argument last year, just in terms of um, you know the offense last year was just very very disjointed and it felt a lot of the times that they could never get anything going. So it just makes sense based on need in that department that. Um, you know, the club's going to splash the cash and bring in some offensive players. And then, um, you know, when you keep in mind that Checo left after however many years of service to the club, like naturally you're going to need a replacement for him. Um, you initially bought, bought Shemurdov, um in anticipation of the day when Checo finally does leave. And then, um, you know, he decided to go and you need a more finished product, which is why you splash the cast on Abraham. Um, so, you know, it seems like that Roma is just throwing all the money into the attacking department, but a, that's based on, um, you know, necessity and partially based on just circumstance, um, you know, with the Abraham opportunity in particular, just, um, that doesn't happen. I bet if Chelsea doesn't buy Lukaku. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, so yeah, it's hard to say whether it's a good thing that Roma put all their money in that department, I think. Um, but generally, I think based on seasons past where the offense kind of looked disjointed at times. And, um, you know, a lot of that probably could be attributed to Jekka being, you know, uninterested and demotivated. But um, it's, it's um, you know, it's an area of the team that the, the, the club had to spend on for sure. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I, I think that we had to invest in the, the attack for all the reasons that Brandon already gave. I would also say that, I mean, just looking at the transfer links that I've seen, um, most of the guys, like, uh, I, it doesn't seem like we're really going for a lot of attacking players in January. Uh, I, I don't think Zakaria is much of an attacker. He's not really a goal scorer. He's gotten two this season, but that seems like kind of a fluke more than anything else. And, uh, you know, I mean, the way that we play indicates that fullbacks have to have some attacking prowess so the fact that we're being linked to attacking right backs makes sense but they're not we're not looking for Spinazzola to on the right flank I don't think uh so I think that Roma's weakness is the defense he's right about that 
but that's probably intentional given that we had no offense last season. Um, so given that I'm pretty happy with the offense and given that the transfer rumors that we're seeing are pairing us with a defensive midfielder and a right back, that seems like the right answer going forward. I'm, I'm happy with that plan. Yeah. And um, I, I think like Brandon said, when once Jekko leaves, you have to replace them with a good option. You know, Shamordov came along first before Jekko left and then, you know, Tammy Abraham opportunity presented itself. So Roma jumped on it. Um, you know, Vina is a fairly attacking fullback, but I, I don't think he's, you know, a poor defender. I think he's transitioning to Serie A, which is why we've seen some defensive struggles with him because prior to his time in Italy, you know, he was pretty, he was considered a pretty balanced guy at, at both Uruguay and at Palmeiras. So, um, and like Jimmy said, the, the, the new links are more of the defensive mid, the right back, which will probably be just somebody to shore up the position. Um, Sufyan also asked if this, how does this relate to playing style? I, I think in terms of playing style, we've seen improvements because of the um, players like Abraham and Shamordov who make the attack more fluid. Uh, he said, you know, in order to play counterattacking, it only really works if you can deal with the pressure of the opponent, which is true. Um, and I think that's why Zakari is being targeted. I think that's why defensive mid is being targeted because we can play very dangerously on the counterattack with the attackers we now have. Uh, in the stable for Mourinho it's just a matter of shoring up and it's not even the def defense to my uh, opinion like in terms of actual position it's more the team needs to improve defensively as a whole midfield included and I think that'll make uh, Mancini and Ibanez look a lot better when they're not just getting run at one-on-one -on -one by pacey attackers over and over and things like that so um, we'll see I think this is a question you probably got to revisit maybe after January or even after next June when Pinto and Mourinho have had really had time to to fill out the, the team in, in their image. And I think we can criticize if there's no defensive improvements in terms of like bringing in the DM or uh, solidifying the defense a bit. I think Mourinho needs some time uh, and hopefully that'll help with in, in the, the style of play and, you know, the defensive record. But, you know, it does have to be shored up. It, it, it can be a point of, you know, people calling it out for sure. Because when you give up three to uh, Hellas and then three to Lazio, it, it does bring that question to light. So uh, let's move to a couple. We have a couple quick off the pitch questions before we get to a little Juve preview. So off the pitch, we had one from Danny Martinez. He said, do you expect anything different with Pietro Berardi as a new CEO? Also, how are all of you doing? Personally, I couldn't tell you really what a, a CEO does of a football club. Um, I'm hoping if anything changes, it'll help with the stadium project um, because we've seen Roma struggle now. So maybe a guy like Berardi who has more of a football background can help push that along somehow. Um, but I don't know what else changes. Um, what about you, Jim? Yeah. I used to think that he helped with like sponsorship deals and things. And then we hired someone to do sponsorship deals. And I used to think that he was in charge of stadium stuff, but then it became clear that Ryan Friedkin was the guy who was kind of being tasked with figuring out the stadium. So I really have no clue what the CEO does. <laughs> um, given that, I mean, I don't know. Uh, is Pietro related to Domenico? Maybe we can get that guy on a free. Other than that, I have no idea uh, what he's what he's up to, what he's doing. But I didn't see any reason to hate Fienga. Uh, he seemed like he did an all right job when we were without a DS. And uh, yeah, I, someone should let me let us know what he actually does, and then I'll have more of an actual comment to provide. What about you, Brandon? Can you give us any uh, shed any light on the CEO situation? I can't, I don't know if I could do any uh, better of a job than you guys did, but um, I think, you know, I can't really, really speak to like the day-to-day -day 
um, effect this change will have. But I think overall, um, it's just more, um, it's just another example of the Friedkins getting in their people into these roles. Um, and I think maybe Fianga was kind of like the, the one of the last vestiges of the old regime type of thing. And so now, as you know, they're filling in these roles with, you know, more people within um, their inner circle, I suppose you could call it. Um, I, I kind of expect things to just be, be more in-house and, you know, for example, like Mourinho hiring came out of nowhere um, and there was no rumors about that or anything until it happened when we found out. And I just expect that, you know, um, when they make changes like this, it kind of just um, accelerates the club to being more like that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a matter of just clearing Fiang out because he's part of the old regime. I'm actually surprised he lasted as long as he did. I guess they, the freaking had other priorities and other positions. Uh, the second question, which came from Shantanu about uh, the stadium, he said thoughts on the new stadium situation. I mean, we've been going on about this for a long time. I know there's uh, mayoral elections coming up in Rome. Um, we have to anticipate Raji probably gets voted out and then maybe the new mayor is a little more kind to Roma and doesn't give us the, the runaround so often with the stadium, hopefully with the freakins in place and with a different team working on the project, they get a, a, a stadium plan in place. I'm, I'm just hopeful that, you know, in, I don't know, in Lorenzo Pellegrini's Roma career, he'll get to christen the new stadium since Totti and De Rossi haven't. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, I guess for me, the only the com- the comment I have on the stadium situation is that whenever it comes up, I just think about how when it, um, it was first announced, the idea was for Totti to be playing in this stadium. And uh, here we are, however many years after he's retired and um, we haven't even um, broken ground on it yet. So it, it always makes me sad to think about. But um, as you were saying with the the mayoral elections, I, you know, hopefully whichever way they go. Um, I'm not going to pretend I know even a little bit about Italian um, or Roman uh, politics, but, um, you know, whichever way the election goes, you hope that it kind of um, helps kickstart the process again. Yeah. What about you, Jim? I know you're into politics, but I don't know how much you know about Roman politics. I know enough about it to know that one of the big reasons why Pelota wasn't really able to get the stadium off the ground wasn't even necessarily Raji herself, which people, you know, felt very easily able to say like, oh, she's a Lazio fan. That's why it didn't happen. No, I'm sorry. That's not why it didn't happen. (laughs) Why it didn't happen was because like Italian bureaucracy is really hard to get through in any way, shape or form, particularly if you're a non-Italian who doesn't want to overly grease the wheels of progress. And I don't have too much optimism for the stadium project being like starting within the next year or two. I have more optimism now than I did before Pelota left, but still it's, it's more just like a wake me up when there are actual shovels in the ground. I am not, (laughs) I'm not pinning too many hopes on getting to try out the Stadio della Roma anytime soon. Yeah. I'm I'm not not banking my hopes. I mean, like Brandon said, I mean, Toti was supposed to open this stadium and, God, Toti hasn't played in probably like four seasons now, and we, we still haven't broken ground, so who knows what happens. But that's all for, of our listener questions. We thank you guys for submitting such great questions, uh, creating some conversation for, for us on certainly a slow news week in, in the Capitol. Uh, now let's move on quickly. We're going to come at you guys with a, a, a short little Juve preview since it's a big match coming up on Sunday. Um, current table, just to give you an idea of where things look, Roma currently fourth on 15 points through seven matches, Juve 11 points seventh place through the same seven matches 
current form, Roma is um, three wins, two losses in their last five with the, the, the losses sandwiched in between like a club sandwich between the, the three wins as the bread there. Uh, Juve on a three-match win streak in the league after starting no wins, two losses, two draws. So Juve starting to round into form just a bit uh, with their derby victory over Torino late uh, the last time out on October 2nd. Also beat Chelsea in the Champions League along with those other uh, Serie A wins. So starting to round into form a little bit, um, but not the Juve we usually expect. So we mentioned earlier, this starts a big, big stretch for Roma. Uh, there will be some key absences. Uh, Marota, um, Alvaro Marota, uh, Weston McKinney and Rabio are looking like the absences for Juve right now. McKinney, I know, missed the, the U.S. matches this week, so he's probably out. Rabio also listed as um, needing to be evaluated by Gazetta dello Sport when I looked earlier. Uh, Smalling is out. We know Spinazzola is out, but... Um, as we were recording, I noticed on Twitter that Tammy Abraham left today's England match early. Uh, so that throws a kink into things. Um, we don't know what the extent of the injury is yet, but he came on in the 75th minute, came off, hobbled a bit in the 90th minute. There is a video on Twitter um, that I saw where he was walked straight into the locker room. So that'll be one of those wait and see situations. I know Roma will be praying the rosary. Maybe we'll get the Pope to pray the rosary down there in the Vatican. Uh, because no Tammy Abraham will certainly be a big blow if that happens. Um, so thinking about that, Roma's lineup probably looks at Shimoradov up front. Uh, if Abraham can't go, that definitely hampers things a bit. You know, the rest of the lineup probably goes back to the preferred 11. Uh, the only other player that might come in that usually wouldn't be part of the preferred 11 would be Calafiori, just because uh, Matias Vina plays again for Uruguay. I think on Thursday is Uruguay's last game. South America's playing three times. Um, I know Gazetta said that uh, Dybala returned to training this week. Probably doesn't start, but it's probably an option off the bench. Um, and, you know, they have to really see the condition of their South American players, which includes players like um, Quadrado, Bentecourt, uh, who are guys usually in their starting 11. So, you know, their starting 11, as Gazetta projects right now, which is still early, would be Chesney, Danilo, Delict, Bonucci, Alexandro. In the defense, Quadrado, Bentacura, Locatelli, Bernardeschi, and then Chiesa and Keane up front and in a 4-4-2. And just as as of now, if Abraham doesn't play, we're looking at probably Rui Patricia with Karzorp, Mancini, Ibanez, Calafiori across the back, Cristante, Vertu, double pivot, Zaniola, Pellegrini, Mkhitaryan as the three behind probably Shamoradov. So that's what it would probably look like given the current injury situation. Uh, just one other thing I'll throw out you guys before – uh, you give us your match keys uh, for Roma. Uh, did you guys get to see uh, what happened with Vina and Quadrado in the Uruguay Colombia match? Yeah, I see Brandon shaking his head. No, Jimmy shaking his head. Yes. But if you guys didn't see it, um, Quadrado was dribbling the ball away from goal uh, for Colombia. Vina was trailing him and Quadrado threw a bit of an elbow in Vina's face. So the fireworks could be starting early if uh, Vina gets on the pitch. And so does Quadrado could add a little bit more, more fuel to the fire in what already should be a heated match because Roma will certainly be looking to win this one. But I know the Abraham injury late throws a monkey wrench into things if he doesn't play, but what are your match keys? Who want, um, we'll give a, a match key for Roma. Let's give one each of what we think Roma will have to do if they want to win this one at the Allianz Arena road match, a place that Roma has, I don't think ever won. Uh, always difficult place to play. If they did win, They'll match a couple seasons ago at the end of the season. I, I think was at the Olympico, though. Um, so, 
Was it at the Allianz gym? It was. So yeah, it that was. was their first, that was their first win there. Very meaningless match though, at the end of the season. So in a meaningful match, Roma hasn't won there yet. So Jim, what would be your one match key for Roma to win this one? Yeah, it's got to be Calafiori. Um, we've seen a lot of indicators that he's probably going to be starting this one uh, because Vigna keeps on getting screwed over by these international break things. Um, whether it's, you know, this really crappy play by Quadrado, who just, is, he's one of my least favorite players out, out these days. I just find him to be pretty dirty. Uh, but Vigna is probably not going to be playing this match. So that means it's Calafiori's first really important match that he'll be starting. And I think that if he does a pretty good job, if he does even like a half-decent Spinazzola impression, uh, Roma could really do a good job with this match. Because it's not, I mean, sure, Juventus has won the past few games, but they're still definitely not the team that they were even last season. So I think that this match has potential for being a win. Uh, but I think a lot of it hinges on how good Calafiori is in a match that not only matters, period, but like matters. It's a big match for our placement, for our mentality heading into the rest of the month. A lot of different factors. I think it's a lot on his shoulders. Yeah, that could be a big one. We saw the last time Uruguay played like three days before a Roma match and Vigna did get the start. He looked a bit gassed by like the 60th minute, I remember. So if Calafiori plays, it could be a key. We, you know, you wonder if Juve will key on him a bit um, with Quadrado coming down the right. If Quadrado does get the start, so that could be an interesting matchup. Brandon, what would you point to as a, a, one of the keys for him to win this one? So my first inclination was to um, kind of pick on Cristante and Vertu again, again, and say it's the midfield battle. But I won't not do that. And um, I think it's really going to be a question of um, how they come out of the gates to start each half. Um, I think particularly in the second half, um, there, there's been a running theme this season of us falling out, uh, coming out of the gates flat and against a team under Max Allegri, who likes to kind of, you know, get that goal and hold on for the win and, um, you know, kind of frustrate you, uh, for the full 90, it's kind of imperative to not do that because, you know, those are the periods in the match where you, you, you can fall behind and set yourself up um, to falling exactly into the trap that they want you to walk into. So um, it's, it's a big match. Um, probably they're, you know, right up there with the Lazio game in terms of intensity going into it. So I'm not particularly worried about how they start off, but just because generally it's been a running theme um, coming out of the gates flat, I think that's probably um, going to be the key for me. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, you know, if Roma does come out flat, that could present issues, especially if Abraham doesn't play, it takes away from their attacking ability a bit. Um, you aren't going to pick on Crisante and Vertu, but my first thought was the midfield battle. And not so much because I want to pick on those two, but also because Juve's weakness the past couple seasons has been in their midfield. So I think the midfield battle will be key. Um, you know, if Juve lines up in the 4-4-2, it'll be interesting because they will have a little bit more in the midfield. But when you think about who their wide midfielders are, it's Quadrado and Bernardeschi. So they kind of play almost like auxiliary wingers in a sense um, because they're going to be playing wide. That They'll probably be more the issue of Calafiori and Vigna or Karsdorp, whoever uh, gets the start on the, the fullback positions. But I think in the center of the park, it could be important for Roma. If uh, Cristante and Vertu can win the midfield battle with Bentecourt and Locatelli, if that's who it is, 
Roma's at a, a much more of an advantage. If they can't keep Locatelli in check and he's able to dictate play a bit from, from the midfield for them, that becomes an issue for Roma. Um, if Locatelli sits a little deeper, I wonder if Pellegrini almost keys on him a little bit uh, when Roma presses, maybe to, to put some pressure on him for some mistakes from Juve, because like I said, their midfield has been an issue the past couple of seasons. You know, Locatelli improves it, but from all I've read, it's still an incomplete midfield. So it uh, could be interesting. I think if Roma wins the midfield battle, they can win this match. So not to put any pressure on you guys. We talked about, you know, getting four or five or six points in this stretch would be good for Roma. You know, we don't expect them to go 3-0. But for you, going to the Allianz Arena, big match. Juve starting to pick up steam, coming off an international break potentially without Tammy Abraham, uh, what would be a good result for you? And are you bold enough to give a prediction, Jim? I'm not bold enough to give a prediction. Sorry. But I do think that a win is definitely feasible, as I was suggesting before. I think that it'll be a tight match. But this Juve, out of, those, out of these three squ- squads at full strength, uh, Milan, Napoli, and Juve. Like, let's assume that Mignan might be able to get back for that match. I don't know. Um, but let's say I Roma at full strength had to face these three squads at full strength. I would feel the most confident about getting a result against Juve, against this Juve. Uh, mainly because, yeah, I, I have not seen anything that impressive from Juve this year. I've seen a lot of wins that felt like they should have been wins and a lot of losses that really they dropped the ball on. So, and I've seen poor goalkeeping play throughout the season. So I think a win is definitely possible. Uh, I think a draw is more likely uh, than than a win, but I I don't, knock on wood, I don't don't think a loss or like an embarrassing loss is on the cards. I I, I see too much good form coming into this match for a lot of different players on Roma's side. What about you, Brandon? What would would you consider a a good result or a feasible result? And do you want to give a prediction? (laughs) Um, so I, I mean, I'm kind of approaching this like a must win just because of the distance between the two in the top four race thus far. And there's no doubt that, um, Juve will go on a, an extended run at some point. Um, and you, you know, they've won a couple of games already in a row. So you hope that we're not in the middle of that and we can delay that for a little bit because I have no doubt that it will come because they're, they have too many good players for it not to, um, Having said that, with the context in mind, with you know Abraham's injury and all that, I'm less optimistic about it than I was, you know, prior to that information. Um, so, you know, I think overall it's it's probably a must win in my mind. But realistically, I think if you can get out of there with a draw, you kind of take it and hope to get um, maximum points from at least one of the other two big games. Um, as for a prediction. I don't really know if I want to go there. I'm <laughs> just naturally being pessimistic. I think it'll end up being a loss and we'll, you know, be sad. And this, you know, it could just be a reverse jinx on my part attempt. Um, but, uh, you know, you, 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 you put me in a room, you say you have to give a prediction. I'd probably say 2-0 loss. Which... <laughs> <laughs> Super pessimistic there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> um. Like Jim, I think a win is feasible. You know, I think most seasons Roma has the team to at least give Juve a match. We've seen them lose a couple heartbreakers up in Turin. I think if there was ever a time for Roma to have a real good shot at beating this 
uh, club, be, meaning Juve, I think this would be the time because we've seen Juve struggling a bit, you know, but it's going to be tough um, one way or another. I think it's like Brandon, like I saw that Abraham news as we were in the middle of recording before that news, I would have felt a lot better about this match. Now he might be okay. We don't know. You know, he might shake it off quick. Maybe it was a precautionary thing and he just feels better. You know um, we hope, but if it's Shamordov up front or uh, I, I don't see where else he would go. I don't think he goes to Meyer all. It becomes a little tougher to score goals. So it, it, that's where I think this could be the, the Zaniolo game where this has to be Zaniolo's game. Um, maybe he needs a score in order for Roma to get a win. I, I'd love for it to happen. I'm sure you guys would too. No better way to stick it to you than have Zaniolo score like a 90th minute winner or something. But um, it's tough to give a prediction because, you know, my heart says Roma wins. My head says maybe they're lucky enough to pull out a draw or maybe they even lose. Um, but I'm going to go optimist here because Roma's been the more informed side. And if we can win and go seven points clear, Juve this early in the season would certainly feel real good and look real good in the table and, and give us a little cushion for when Juve does go on that run that Brandon referenced that they usually go on. So I'll go optimistic. I'll leave you guys with a 2-1 Roma win. Uh, Zaniolo scores a goal. If Abraham doesn't play and we get the other goal from Pellegrini, our two young stars, um, get it done. And Cristante and Vertu, let us forget about our lack of defensive mid a little bit in this one because Juve's midfield isn't the greatest. And we, you know, that comes to bug us a little bit more maybe against Napoli. So we'll, we'll go optimistic here and uh, hopefully we can come back on Monday and talk to the listeners after a, a very big win and, and be feeling really good about our, our recording rather than uh, another one like the Lazio match. So uh, anything you guys want to leave the listeners with before we, we finish this one? Um, I think uh, Jimmy's the only one who escaped unscathed uh, <laughs> and didn't, and didn't put a prediction out there. So I think we do need one from Jimmy at least. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll do a two, one win for Roma with, Goals from Zaniolo and Pellegrini, assisted by Shemuradov in both cases. So two assists for Shemuradov. And then the goal for Juve will be again from, uh, you know, I find him to be a really annoying player, but he's also fantastic. So I'll say Chiesa um, will be the one who scores the consolation goal for Juve. Yeah, I'd probably have to give the goal, my 2-1 prediction to Chiesa as well. Uh, he's annoying when he's in the black and white. I love him when he's in the Azuri blue, but yeah, a bit of a, uh, hopefully he doesn't kill Roma too much uh, because he looked pretty dangerous for Italy this past week. So uh, we'll leave it there. I hope you guys enjoyed the, the listener Q and a next time, get your questions. in if you have something you want to ask us when we, we present the opportunity again, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Uh-huh.